0: Welcome back to the LabBirds podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jackie. And I
1: am Fridby, your other co-host.
0: And we are here with you with episode three. Yay! (laughs) Um, So this week, uh,
1: we'll be talking about applying to grad school. So all of the little pieces and components that you need um, through the application process, uh, finding a supervisor and the overall um, application experience.
0: And uh, this episode, we are going to have our first ever guest. We're really excited about it. We have um, Hannah Froome. So she is doing her PhD at Brunel University in London, England. Uh, And she will be sharing her perspective about applying to school internationally because she's a Canadian and now she's living in the United Kingdom doing school. So we're really excited to have her on later in the episode.
1: Yeah, so um, I guess we can get into the episode. Um, So we actually thought of giving you guys an overview of the common components for a grad school application. And then we'll um, sort of share our experience applying to grad school. Um, If you are currently applying or even thinking about applying to grad school, um, then I think this will be a very informative episode for you. Um, Also, we thought about sharing our experiences because I think it showcases the different uh, paths and experiences uh, with the application process. So we hope that you find uh, this helpful. Um, So Jackie, take it away.
0: Yeah, so the first kind of key component of a grad school application is the statement of academic intent. So I think that this is a pretty standard component of most graduate school applications, and this is like a one to two page personal essay of sorts, where you can describe what your career aspirations are, what your plans are, your specific research interests as well, if you have anything that you know you really want to do. So for example, if you're applying to a school that has like a really great, um, I don't know, chronic disease management research program, and that's really Mm -hmm. what you want to do, you can say that in your letter of intent of intent or statement of academic intent and then if you have talked to a potential thesis supervisor at the university then you should also be um, talking about them and what kind of work you want to do with them in your statement as well. So I think that this is one of um, the most important parts of your application because it gives you a chance to say to the applications um, or admissions committee, as well as, you know, potential thesis supervisors, why you're interested in the program and also tell like who you are. So that way, anyone who's reading this knows, okay, this is Jackie Mm -hmm. or this is Bridby. Um, They get an idea of what you want and it's your opportunity to demonstrate why you're a good fit for the program because like a Mm -hmm. transcript on its own, another component of the application, That's not really going to say if you're a good fit or not, but you being able Mm -hmm. to explain it well.
1: This is to showcase like your personal side, because I feel like a transcript and things like that, or a resume can sometimes um, they're, you know, they're not personable. And so Mm -hmm. I think a statement of intent brings that um, uh, component in. I also think, um, I think Jackie talked about uh, talking about Um, you know, your specific research interests, um, relevant experiences. So I think when you are talking about those experiences, try to be as specific as possible. Um, So for example, if you're talking about an extracurricular experience, and you were part of a team that, um, you know, organized an event, talk about how many people attended that event, and uh, talk about what you did, specifically in organizing that event. And I think, This way, you're sort of telling them uh, the impact that you've had, as well as some of those uh, key characteristics and skills that you have developed um, during that experience. Um, But yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a chance to get detailed about your experiences. I also think in the statement of academic intent, it's important for you to kind of like extend those experiences to why you would be a good fit for the program. So You know, for example, if you were really involved in extracurriculars at your school and let's say you're applying to a new school, that can demonstrate that you'll be involved in the community, you know, and you can say, I was involved in this committee at my old school. I'm looking forward to getting involved with similar communities at this new school and really participating as part of like the broader university uh, community and culture. Um, sure. This is also what my last thing that I have to say about the statement of academic intent is that if you don't have a supervisor already like contacted or ideas of supervisors who you want to work with, uh, this statement it will tell potential supervisors who review your applications what you're interested in and if you if they think you would be a good fit for their research program because they they do look through supervisors will look through applications and they'll read these statements of academic intent to see, you know, who they want to be working with them in the future. Mm
1: -hmm. And um, just to add on to that, um, in terms of selecting a supervisor, um, I think that um, sometimes uh, in when you're applying to to a program, you can just apply and um, you can have, sometimes the supervisors themselves will sort of select you as uh, an applicant that might be a good fit for their research program. Um, The other way is to actually cold call or cold email. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I think Jackie has experience with this.
0: Yeah, I have unsuccessful experiences with cold calling <laughs> supervisors, but I definitely think it's something that you should do because mm-hmm. it's not guaranteed that, you know, someone's going to find your application and then want to work with you based on that. I mean, that is what happened mm-hmm. to me, which we'll talk about in a bit, but yeah. it's definitely a good idea to reach out to people and see The researchers are at the university. Mm -hmm. If you want to be working with them, so definitely start emailing potential supervisors.
1: Mm -hmm. And um, one of those ways is, you know, for example, if you find a program at at a university that you're interested in, you can go into that program and see some of the faculty members and the uh, the potential supervisors, the professors that are doing research in that uh, program. And then basically, you can just email them and say, you know, I'm thinking of applying to this program. Um, I would say like one, I guess, tip for that is I would read their work. And mm-hmm. if you are interested in their research, like you have to be genuinely interested in their research um, because I think it shows in in your email to them. And so I think read, read their work. Think about things that you really like about their work. And maybe think about things that you want to add on or things that you want to um, uncover in that research area and, um, put that down in an email and maybe you never know. um, they may look at your email and actually receive it well and, uh, could potentially, um, you know, want to be your supervisor. So yeah, that would be my sort of last tip on that.
0: Yeah, I think the other thing, too, with uh, cold calling supervisors, which I didn't do when I applied previously, is don't Mm -hmm. hesitate to follow up because if your supervisor is, you know, teaching a 400 person class and, you know, they already have like 10 different graduate students their inboxes are flooded. Some professors or potential supervisors Mm -hmm. get hundreds of emails a day. And I think it's very easy for an email from somebody who they've never met, especially to get lost in the inbox. So Mm -hmm. if there's been some time and you haven't heard back from this person and you're really interested in working with them, don't hesitate to follow up with them.
1: Yeah, I think uh, people um, appreciate a kind reminder. Mm -hmm. Um, So definitely I would agree with Jackie on that. I guess the next part, uh, the big Mm -hmm. part of a grad school application, I would say is uh, references. So um, mostly for, uh, you know, usually with grad school application, you are required to provide uh, about two references. And sometimes um, you could be asked for three or more, depending on the program that you're applying to. So it really depends on the program and the admission requirements. Um, But generally, uh, you know, you want to, Choose people that know you fairly well. You know, if they don't know you that well, then they're most likely going to, you know, provide a very general letter that isn't that specific to you. Um, but you know, if you know them well and have somewhat of a relationship with them, then they're are able to, you know, talk about the experiences they have had working with you, um, which they will sort of draw on when they're writing your reference letter and provide, you know, specific examples of your character. Um, academic uh, abilities, and maybe even research abilities, you know, if you've had that experience uh, with them. So for Mm -hmm. example, you don't really want to, you know, choose a professor or a supervisor you've had for a course, like a very long time ago, and Mm -hmm. you've only had, you know, you've had one course with them, and you've spoken to them once. So you probably don't want to choose somebody like that. You want to choose a professor, you know, you've who you've you know taught you a course more like m- multiple courses, maybe, or you've had the, you, you've taken a course with them recently and you've done really well in their course and you've had conversations with them. So I think choosing someone like that who can speak to your abilities, who've had interacted with you more than once. And for me, I find that choose people that can speak to your character as well and who you are as a person. I think that's very helpful uh, because I think that really shows through in the reference letter and it shows, you know, it it makes it more personable, makes it it more impactful, right? Um, Because the person that's writing, yeah, and the person that's writing the reference letter like genuinely wants you to get into this program (laughs) and is going to speak you know, amazing things, wonderful things about you. So you want to choose people like that, whether that be your professor, a supervisor, um, you know, someone you've worked with at, you know, an extracurricular capacity, um, something like that. Yeah. So that's, that would be my suggestion for choosing a referee. Um, Jackie, do you have anything to add to this?
0: Yeah, I think you definitely want to pick people who know you well um, and not just from like a 500 person lecture where you only did multiple choice assessments, Um, try and pick a professor who you maybe had, more of like a seminar style class with where, you know, there's a smaller class, there's perhaps more discussion in the class. So that way they have an idea of how you articulate your thinking, Um, a professor who has perhaps evaluated your writing. So that Mm -hmm. way they can speak to those kind of merits and then try and think of somebody who could potentially Complement what you're saying in your statement of academic intent as well and who understands sure. you know what your motivations are for applying to the program and can speak to that and um i would say to contact
1: your referees as early as possible as well uh when i was applying i contacted my referees like pretty much as soon as i th- had thought of applying to grad school and um this ensures that you have you know, you've given them enough time to prepare the letter. But also, if you know for whatever reason it might be one referee isn't able to provide you with the letter, um, then you still have you know plenty of time to find another one. And um, you know, so and when also when you are asking them to provide you know those re- the reference letter, you're giving them that time and you know giving them more of that uh, room to ask questions if they have any. So. Contact them as early as possible. I think that would be one of my like top advice in this whole application process.
0: Yeah, another thing to remember too when you're contacting professors is that they are writing reference letters for lots of other students. Like you're not the only one because a lot of the grad school applications are due around the same time. So definitely try to ask them, yeah, I would say, at least like a month in advance. That would be like my kind of minimum sort of time because you'll Mm -hmm. probably know if you're planning on applying to grad school um, a little bit sooner than a month before the deadline, Mm -hmm. if that's something that you're really into and like thinking about. Um, So yeah,
1: like I agree with that. Even for me, like whatever, anytime I write a scholarship, anytime I do any sort of application, I always inform my referees one month in advance. Um, If I've never asked them to be a referee for me Mm -hmm. ever, I actually would suggest asking even a month and a half before if you are aware of the deadline. And Yeah.
0: so If they're writing the letter from scratch because now Birdby and I are at a stage where, you know, we're Mm -hmm. applying for scholarships all the time and we kind of have the same people, you know, who who are our references for, you know, our scholarships and applications. So it's Mm -hmm. not new for them. They get to just Mm -hmm. update it. You know, whenever there or adapt it to whatever format that application requires for the reference, but yeah, writing it from scratch, you know, is that's yeah so much more work.
1: Mm -hmm. For sure, I also suggest that you know when you ask your reference referees and they have agreed to give you a reference letter, I suggest that you provide them with an up to date CV resume, you know, and a transcript. Um, you know, also keeping in mind that maybe you want to provide them with a document that highlights some of the experiences you've shared with uh, with the referee so for example if you've picked a professor you know you've known well and list the courses that you've taken with them let them know what you enjoyed let them know about an assignment or an assessment that you did really well on Mm -hmm. um, and you know that showcased your presentation abilities or writing abilities. Um, Or you can also, you know, use that document to sort of elaborate more on your CV and, you know, note down things that you've done uh, that they might not know, right? Uh, Which you would like them to sort of mention. Um, I always suggest asking the referee before you provide them with this document, because some people, some people that you ask may feel that they have sufficient experience with you for them to write the The letter on their own, Um, but I know in the past I've done this. I've asked referees if they would like a document, and they've always sort of appreciated that, Um, and it helps them, right? Because they're writing so many. They might be writing multiple reference letters, like Jackie said. So it gives them, you know, you know, you jog their memory. You jog their memory of the the experiences that they've shared with you. So um, I think a document like that would be very helpful. Again, I would suggest asking them first before you. Uh, send that to them.
0: Yeah. I think um, when they um, like say, oh yes, I'll be your reference for you. And then you reply and are obviously polite and say, thank you so mm-hmm. much for your time. Would it be helpful if I sent you, you know, a document with some more like information to help you write the letter. You can also even offer um, some professors um, you can help them draft the reference letter as well. Like that's also yes. been a thing that I've done in the past. So yeah. I would say offer to provide them you know, any assistance that you can support, provide them with. And then I think those personalized documents are really helpful because if they're writing the reference letter, then you can cover all the specific criteria that that program is requiring, that they're not necessarily going to know. They're not going to know in your program, oh, there's like a really heavy stats component and that you want them to say, Oh, I'm good at stats in the letter.
1: Yeah, so I think that's where this document can be really helpful. Um, I think my overall tip, and we've sort of touched on this, when you're communicating with your referees, be clear, like, you know, tell them what you're applying for, why you are asking them to be a referee. Um, Like what makes them uh, a good fit? Or like, can they speak to your abilities as um, uh, in academic writing or presenting? Mm -hmm. Um, Also, you know, let them know when the application is due. I always like to bold this in my email just <laughs> Me too. because, yeah, I think, cause you know, when you're con- contacting these referees, again, they have so many things going on. Um, they have so much work going on. So, you know, letting them know what the application due date is and bolding that, um, it's more likely that they're going to see it in the email and they're sort of going to note it down in their calendar. A tip for this, um, I would tell them a due date that is two days before the actual due date. And I like to do this because if they were to run into a problem or you run into a problem or whatever it might be, then you have time to sort it out before the actual deadline. Um, You know, so I think that is something that I've always sort of practice. Like anytime I ask someone for a reference, I always set the due date for them two days before the actual due date of the application. Um, Also let them know the procedure for submitting the reference letter because different universities and different graduate programs can have um, different ways of submitting that letter. So make that clear to them. Um, Also send them a reminder halfway before the deadline. So for example, if you contacted them a month month in advance and they said, yes, I'll, you know, submit a reference letter for you. Then, you know, at the two weeks mark before the before the deadline, I would send a reminder, a kind reminder email just to see, um, you know, just to remind them. And a lot of the time I found that when I do send that email, they really appreciate it. Um, and or if they've already submitted it, they just let me know. They just say, oh, you've submitted, I've submitted it for you. And then yeah. at that time you can you know, send them a little thank you note um, after you've submitted the letter to show them your appreciation. I also think this is a really great way to maintain that relationship with them just in case you need another reference letter in the future. But I think it's also like from a genuine place. They've taken the time to write something for you and they want the best for you. If you've chosen the right referee, But yeah, so I think it's really nice to, you know, give them that appreciation and send them a thank you note.
0: Yeah, I think a thank you goes a long way. And then um, just to add a little bit on to what you were saying, I also think in your request, you should tell them if there's any specific like format, um, like you said, instructions, Mm. you know, for how to submit it. But also if there's like a word limit on the reference letter, um, if there are like specific topics that the referee letters should touch on or, you know, any kind of formatting things for the document itself also let them know that too. And Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely send out a reminder. Um, I think in my experience, um, I feel like there are the supervisors who submit it like two weeks in advance, like what you were saying for or there are the supervisors who submit it on the deadline. So yeah, (laughs) I would say, don't be too worried. You know, if, you have a supervisor who's kind of a little or a bit, referee, yeah, a, any, yeah, a referee. Mm-hmm. Sorry, who is submitting mm-hmm. it closer to the deadline? Because I think that they mm-hmm. will get it done, and they wouldn't commit to doing it for you if you know they don't plan to. But if you're in a situation where you haven't heard, you know, the day before the deadline, I would say contact them and remind them of the deadline. And then if you take mm-hmm. Bridget's tip to tell them an earlier deadline, you don't have
1: to worry exactly. about it. Exactly. Exactly. And this is what it takes away your stress, your anxiety, because they think they're submitting it on the last day that it's due, but it's, you know, due two days later. Or even, you know, um, a referee can sometimes run into a problem where they can't submit it on the day. So they might contact you. be like, Oh, I'm having trouble submitting it today. And then you can be like, Oh, guess what? It was, it's due two days later. So you have another day. So, you know, it gives you that flexibility and that time and it takes away all the worry and the stress. So I think that's a, I think that's a tip that I've always followed and it's Mm -hmm. always worked out in my favor. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. So I think, is there anything else for reference letters or should we move on to? I think
1: think I've pretty much covered everything for references. Yeah.
0: So the next component that is a part of most grad school applications would be um, your transcripts and or degree parchments. So typically if you have graduated from a program and you're applying for, you're applying for your master's, let's say, and you've already completed your undergrad and you've been working or whatever, they'll ask you most likely for your transcripts from school as well as a photo of your or scan copy of your actual degree. Right now during COVID, um, a lot of schools are accepting unofficial transcripts that you can just download from the web For free. So I think that kind of helps make this process a little bit easier if you're planning on applying to grad school this year, or I guess in 2022, probably most of the applications will be due. Um, Mm -hmm. But in the past, when, you know, I applied for my master's, I had to send an official copy of my transcript. What the universities will do is they'll like mail each other official copies and there's typically um, a small fee associated with sending an official copy of the transcript to the university. So I would say I think like five to 10 ish dollars. Um, Now I think some of the schools are a little bit more modern and are sending official transcripts electronically. But definitely mm-hmm. try and do that process early because, you know, your transcript could get lost in the mail and then the university doesn't have your transcript and, you know, all of those kinds of, you don't you want to avoid any type of delay mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. So Yeah,
1: I agree. Giving yourself, I think, enough time is sort of my, I would make, that would be my key advice for this whole application process. Um, So there are obviously, you know, personal information in the application process that you need to complete. And so this is, this could be, you know, things like, obviously, like filling out your name, (laughs) your date of Mm -hmm. birth, everything that the application asks. But Um, also uh, English uh, language proficiency, uh, which is basically where you are required to show evidence of oral um, and written English proficiency. If you are someone who've actually taken full-time a study in English uh, before, then that in itself is the evidence that you show, um, which could be like, you know, a degree that Mm you completed. Um, If not, then you you know, you might need to take a test. So again, the specific requirements for this is something you should be able to find in the admission requirements section of the application, um, because it can be different, um, and maybe the process may also be different. So that is something that you should check out if you are someone who hasn't uh, had formal full-time study in English. Um, Also, some grad schools in progress, Programs may require you to take the GRE, which is the graduate record examinations, uh, which is basically like a standardized test. Some graduate programs and schools require that. So again, make sure that is something that your program requires, or if it doesn't require, then you don't have to worry about it. Um, some programs may also ask you for other materials like CV or uh, a sample of academic writing that you've done in the past. Um, so there, overall, there are little parts to the application that might differ between graduate schools and graduate programs and their requirements. So mm-hmm. I think my full, like, overall tip would be go through the admission requirements and look at what's required um, and sort of. Um, mark that down. So you don't lose, uh, uh, you don't lose it in the process of doing your application.
0: Yeah. Anytime I'm doing um, an application, I always make a checklist of everything. And then um, I have it in a place that I can easily access and then I can go through and make sure I check everything off. Mm -hmm. Um, I would recommend that if, you have to submit a CV for um, a grad school application to have that checked over by someone at your university Mm -hmm. and like the career, there's always people in the career place or center. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know- Or, yeah, or even just
1: someone, if you know someone who's already in grad school um, and can sort of look over your whole entire application, I think that would be um, pretty- um, you know, that might be helpful for you as well, even for, especially your mm-hmm. statement of intent, I think. Right. Because I think, um, having someone review that and seeing if you've captured and explained and s- basically sold yourself yeah, <laughs> uh, well, because I think, or pitched yourself well, that's, that's a better wording. Um, yeah. And getting that sort of input from someone could be helpful. Um, Yeah, I think that all in all, getting someone to review your application um, is a good tip.
0: Yeah, for the having someone review your statement of academic intent, this can also just be someone who knows you really well, too. Like if you're an undergrad and you have your roommate, like your roommate could review it, um, especially if they're a good writer and they know you really well, I assume if you're living with them. So Mm -hmm. they can provide like a good kind of second perspective. Also check your (laughs) grammar. Um, Exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think, um, yeah, there's nothing worse than sort of writing this (laughs) statement of intent, pitching yourself really well. And then you find that you have a grammatical error or like you missed a word or spelling. Um, So yeah, like having someone check that over is like another set of eyes. And um, it'll also help um, you feel better about what you're submitting.
0: Yeah. And then I think the last kind of component of graduate school applications is that there is pretty much always a fee to apply. Um, Mm -hmm. And this fee from what I've seen and in my experience is about $100 per program. So Mm -hmm. keep that in mind when you're planning out and applying for grad school and make sure you have that money put aside to apply to school because yeah, it's definitely... Mm -hmm a good chunk of change for an application
1: also um just to reiterate different schools different programs might cost differently but I think um generally it's around that ballpark so um,
0: yeah from what I've seen like looking at Mm -hmm. research-based programs and then yeah I've applied the school all the schools I've applied to in the past they've all been about a hundred dollars I also think too if you are um in a situation where you could potentially apply for like financial aid or something, there are ways that you can get that application fee waived. Um, So if you're in a position where you'd like that option, um, don't hesitate to contact someone at admissions and see if they can do anything for you to waive the Mm -hmm. fee or perhaps reduce it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, talk to them and uh, take a hold of those opportunities if they're applicable to you. Okay. So I think now we can start sharing sort of our own experience with grad school because I think we we have similar but also different paths.
0: Yeah. And I think it's really interesting that we both ended up in the same program, but had really different paths to get there. Mm-hmm. So I so guess
1: Jackie, you- yeah, you should start.
0: <laughs> I'll go first. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to focus mostly on my master's application because I feel like my PhD application experience was I just applied to the one school that I knew I wanted to go to. So, yeah. um, for my master's, um, during my undergrad, I knew that I really wanted to do a masters in public health um, or in public health research. So, I, I really had my heart set actually on going to an MPH, a master's of public health program. So. Mm -hmm. I applied, I kind of had my one sort of dream program, but I knew it was competitive. So I was like, I need to find, you know, some other potential options. And then I found the program that I was actually ended up doing, um, my master's Mm -hmm. of health sciences program. I found that just by looking up other research programs, I saw that they had a really good community health kind of program within the master's of health, health sciences, and that there were a lot of like researchers at the university who I could see myself working with in the future. So I applied to that school as well. Um, I don't want to say it was like a backup, but I only applied to the two schools. And then at the time of applying, the MPH was definitely what I had my heart set on. Set on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And then so during the application process, I wrote my letter of intent and I looked back and it was basically the exact same. (laughs) Um, I just subbed in the different (laughs) programs um, because I wanted to do kind of like the same thing in each of those programs. Um, And I didn't feel like there was anything. I wasn't applying to drastically different programs. I was applying to do like community health and then a master's of public health. So those are pretty similar. So so you
1: had like one statement of intent and you sort of catered and changed different parts of it to meet what the program was designed for and what the program was looking for.
0: Yeah, I think I probably could have done a better job of speaking to each institution more specifically than what I ended up doing because I pretty much was Mm -hmm. a little bit lazy as a fourth year undergrad student and just (laughs) subbed out the school names. Um, But I think really tailoring each statement of academic intent to the institution um, can be helpful. And, you know, really selling like Mm -hmm. why you wanna go there. There are definitely certain components of the application that you can really use again and again. If you're as long as you're not applying sure. to like drastically different programs. I also remember that my personal references for my master's application were my undergraduate thesis supervisor. And then I had also done a summer student research job. So my supervisor from there was my other reference. So I, I only had two mm. for the programs that I applied for. And then for the Master's of Health Sciences program, so with the MPH, it's course-based. So I didn't need to research a supervisor. Um, And for the Master's of Health Science program, I can't really remember because this feels like so long ago, but I definitely reached out to like at least one professor, I think maybe two, but I never heard back, like I said before. So my cold Mm -hmm. calls were unsuccessful. But I definitely should have followed up and, you know, been a little bit more persistent. Regardless, it did work out because I applied to school. And then I heard back from my current supervisor, who I did my master's with and I'm now doing my PhD with. So she had read my application and then she reached out to me because she had a project that she was looking for a student for. And she thought that I would be a good fit. So I was really surprised that she reached out to me because it was like very mm-hmm. different from what. I guess I thought I wanted to be doing like, she's like, Oh, come and make yeah. an app with me. And I was like, I don't know how to make an app, but we had a, mm-hmm. a meeting together, which I I should have treated like a job interview in my head. I was like, Oh, I'm just going to meet this person. We'll see how it is. Yeah. <laughs> and That
1: takes away sometimes the stress of it and it kind of makes you be normal. And <laughs> so I think that's also an, you know, preparing too much can sometimes be a hindrance as well.
0: Yeah, it it all worked out for the best because Mm -hmm. I definitely, after that, you know, I ended up receiving an acceptance letter for that program. Um, and then at this point, um, my supervisor, she really sold me on coming to do the master's of health science. So now that I had met with her, I had a really cool research project that I could do. I was definitely really leaning towards this program after that experience, but then I wanted to, you know, see what would happen with the MPH, like if I would get in. And so I actually, I got waitlisted, um, for the MPH program and the way that the deadlines worked was that I had to accept my master's, offer before I would hear back from the MPH waitlist. So I reached out to the admissions committee and I was like, is there any way you can give me any information? Like I have this other offer that I need to accept before the deadline by which I'll hear back about the waitlist. Like, could you give me any idea Mm -hmm. of what's going on? And I had kind of a a negative experience, like reaching out to that person. They were basically Mm -hmm. like, "Okay, no, we can't tell you anything at all. And yeah. I was yeah. like, okay, so then I just, I, I did eventually get off that wait list, but I had already accepted my offer for the master's of health sciences. Cause mm. I just knew it felt right. Mm. And in my brain, you know, you just always want to know what options you have
1: for sure. Well, I'm glad you accepted the offer
0: because we met and now yeah. we have a podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, And then, yeah, for my PhD, I just applied to continue doing my research with my current supervisor. Um, And then for that one, my references mm -hmm. were my work supervisor because I took some time off between my master's and PhD to work. So my work supervisor Mm -hmm. was my reference along with my current, my current supervisor.
1: Yeah. um, I think yours is, I, I just wanted to say like your experience, I think it also speaks to how. Um, sometimes you need to go in with an open mind and how like you might be, you know, fixed on something. But then when you go with with an open mind, you might actually find, you know, discover new passions, new things you're interested in. Like, for example, you said, when our supervisor asked you to work on an app, you're like, I have no idea how to do this. (laughs) But, you know, um, it is now something you are doing. So yeah, yeah, I think it's a great example of having that open mind. So my experience was a little bit different than Jackie's. So during my last year of my undergrad, uh, I did a research uh, practicum project. So it's like an undergraduate thesis. Um, This was sort of my like introduction into research, uh, into the research world. And it piqued my interest. Um, So at that time, I also wanted to go to med school. So I actually applied for a student research award um, uh, assistantship, uh, where you basically get a research project and you work with the professor on it. And I applied for that during the summer of my last year. That professor who I applied with Um, I ended up getting the research award and was able to go on and work with that supervisor. And that supervisor is actually um, one of my co-supervisors now. So (laughs) so while working with me, I know. So while working on that research award project, she basically asked me if I've ever thought about doing a master's and that it would sort of be a good candidate. And I thought about it and, you know, reflected on my goals. And at that time, I honestly, like was surprised by how, uh, how interested I was in research and how I how much I enjoyed it. So I thought I should give it a chance, I decided to apply. And basically my project was going to be an extension of what I did that summer with the professor. Um, so she was actually going to continue on and be my master supervisor. And that project was about um, end of life care. So it was in, in something that I w- was cool and it was passion. I was also passionate about, and like um, Jackie, I wrote a letter of intent, basically talking about my interests, my academic and extracurricular experiences, uh, my interest in the master's program, and because I had I had already had a project and a supervisor, I talked about um, that as well. So I provided a brief overview of what I plan to do for my master's thesis and why I would be sort of an ideal fit for the program. Um, my references were a professor from undergrad uh, as that I knew really well. Um, I had done anatomy with her um, and I really liked uh, the course. I did well in the course and had already had some sort of conversations with her in the past. So I asked her to be my referee. And then I also asked um, the professor that was going to be my master supervisor to provide me with a reference letter because I had already worked with her that summer on the research project uh, surrounding end of life care. I submitted the application and then sort of, you know, went on with my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, after a couple of months of sub- after submitting my application, I got an email from, you know, the professor that was going to be my master supervisor. And she basically told me that there was another professor who wanted to work with me. And apparently that professor who is now my primary supervisor um, had found me in the application portal and felt that me as a candidate would be an appropriate fit for her research program so she had talked to the professor that I was initially going to work with and um basically contacted me and so we arranged uh, you know a meeting like I guess what Jackie talked about mm-hmm. and we just had a conversation about um about my master's and what it would be like. And I was offered a new project. And uh, this was a qualitative research uh, project evaluating patient and healthcare provider perspectives on using mobile health technologies for heart failure management. I had prior experience with qualitative research. I also was interested in chronic disease management as well. And I also felt that um, both of these professors would be someone that I wanted to work with and so what ended up happening was the initial professor who was going to be my master supervisor and this new professor um, wanted to be my Mm co-supervisors and so I got this project I got supervisors and I want to say like both of these supervisors, both of my supervisors are amazing they even even the the professor that was going to be my initial supervisor for my master's alone is amazing. She's very student focused, very kind. And I've had so many conversations with her and they were all, you know, amazing people in terms of amazing, highly qualified researchers, but also just um, great people that I wanted to work with. Um, So after this conversation, I got my acceptance letter into the program and started my master's. I actually worked as a research assistant in the summer for my two supervisors before I officially uh, started my master's. Um, And then in the second year of my master's, I transferred into the PhD program and I basically had to apply to the program like I did for my master's and also had additional requirements and process to go through, which is in itself that process can be another podcast episode on its own. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, that's how it led me to get into my PhD.
0: That's awesome. And I think too, you also kind of had that open mind sort of, thing that I had as well, where you applied thinking that you wanted to do one thing, but then you were open to other opportunities and working with other people. And I think our, our shared supervisor was very good at selling us on, um, working with her. And I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but your supervisor is so important. So I think if you ever Mm -hmm. have the opportunity where you're applying for school, and you meet a potential supervisor and you really hit it off with them like go for that and kind of go with your gut feeling i think a little bit too because when i was waffling between programs like my gut was still t- like my gut just knew that i wanted to do my mm-hmm. masters of health sciences
1: yeah for sure i think our supervisor um sold us <laughs> <laughs> um she sold her you know her program really well and honestly. It has lived up to its expectations. So for me, I have no claims.
0: Definitely. So I think now we will have Hannah on and we'll transition yeah, into that it. interview.
1: Hannah Froom uh, is a first year PhD student in public health and health promotion at Brunel University in London. Her research focuses on digital behavior change interventions and their effectiveness on dietary intakes in children, specifically children in low income families. She values volunteering with public health organizations within and outside of academia to improve her knowledge and to network. Um, In her spare time, she loves to read and spend time outside. I'm just thinking about all the times Hannah and I went to the gym. Hannah did her master's in Canada. Um, she was actually a part of our lab under Jackie and I's current supervisor. Um, I have to say she is one of my uh, best friends and um, she and I were pretty much a partner in crime during our yeah. master's working with each other all the time. So I'm very happy to introduce Hannah Froom and welcome her to the Birds podcast.
2: Oh, thanks so much, Bridvi. Yeah, I just just to quickly say I'm so happy to not only see you guys again, but to join you. So I feel so honored to be asked (laughs) to be on your podcast and it just feels so good to be kind of talking with you guys again. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you on. And by the way, I just want to say that we are recording this podcast a little bit differently than we normally do. We normally record it in Jackie's room, but right now I am in Pickering. Uh, Ontario in my kitchen Jackie is in Ottawa Yep, I'm in Ottawa
2: in her living room yes Hannah
1: is basically
2: I'm in I'm in London England in my flat right now so yeah (laughs) I kind of forgot where I was for a second so we're basically recording this over zoom so hopefully the
0: audio is good Yeah, so it's a bit different today, but we're super happy to have Hannah here to share her experiences um, now that she is a PhD student in a different country from the one that she's from. So thanks again, Hannah, for joining us. And to start off, what sort of made you want to pursue a career in research and start your master's and then continue on with research doing your PhD?
2: So I first became interested in... Well, public health specifically during my undergraduate degree and during my undergraduate degree, I actually had no research experience at all. You know, there are some undergraduates who in their final year can complete like a research project. Um, my undergraduate degree didn't require that at all. So therefore, I had absolutely no experience, but I decided to continue on with my master's, uh, mainly to learn more about how I could contribute to the field and um, in public health more through research. And then after my experience in the RCAN Lab and with Joanne and obviously with you guys during my master's, through that experience, I developed a passion for research, mainly because I love to learn and I absolutely love the challenge of delving deeper into health problems. Um, and I think, you know, creating new knowledge to contribute to academia and the public and public health is very rewarding. So basically, you know, research we, we know is so diverse and the knowledge and ability to work independently, but also have the choice to work with others on projects that both benefit society and academia is honestly why I love research and wanted to continue to challenge myself into a PhD to become an expert in public health. So that's kind of the reason why I went into a master's and now a PhD.
1: Yeah, um, I think those are amazing reasons and we have. And as you talked about the collaboration point, we have worked on a couple of projects together and as well as Jackie, Jackie, I and you. So um, how is the
2: first semester of your PhD going in the UK? Yeah, it's it's been amazing so far. Um, it's you know, I've met some wonderful people and I have an amazing supervisor who's not only very attentive um and likes to keep in touch and, you know, she likes to make sure everything's going smoothly. And, um, you know, sometimes, honestly, I forget that I'm just in a completely different country because it's just been so, it's been so busy, but the, I mean, the only thing is because I've been in quarantine for the last year and a half and I've been in the country and now I've moved into a city. I have basically been sick for four months. So like, I, I know I've, I've basically, I mean, the, the weather here is also different, right. You know, it's wet and cold, and there's not really any snow. It's like very rainy. So I've, I've kind of had a cold ever since I've moved here. Um, but other, otherwise, it's been absolutely amazing. I mean, the people I've been meeting, even the work that's been, you know, I, I've been doing and I've only been in school for three months. So it's mm-hmm. been so much fun so far.
0: That's great. It's awesome that your first semester is off to a good start, that you're enjoying your program and that you have a supportive supervisor. Obviously, being sick frequently is probably... <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) not ideal, but hopefully you get used to the weather and the dirt of the city soon. So (laughs) what made you decide (laughs) that you wanted to do your PhD outside of Canada?
2: I mean, one, I knew, I knew pretty early on, probably in my early 20s, that I did want to continue on, you know, continue with my education, do a PhD, um, mainly because I originally wanted to become a professor. And, you know, you, you need a PhD mm-hmm. to become a professor. Um, so I, And I always knew academically, whether, whether it was through master's or a PhD, if, you know, then I was like, if I get into a PhD, I'd want to travel outside of Canada or at the very least Ontario. And um, mainly, you know, it's really nice to be independent and to be on your own and, you know, put some roots kind of in a new place. And I always knew specifically that I wanted to go to the UK. Um, It didn't really matter where in the UK. And I don't really know why England was a top choice. Um, But I guess just part of me wanted to expand my network. And, you know, I think it's great to meet new people and new friends and uh, health professionals outside of your own country. So it's just it's I guess it was about the experience.
1: Yeah. And honestly, Hannah, I still remember the conversation we had we had at Pinera Bread.
2: Was it? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, we did talk about that. Wait, here. is
1: that what the restaurant's called? It was. Yeah, that's what it was okay. called. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, we we were basically having a conversation and Hannah was pretty certain that I'm not going to be here in Canada in 2 years. Yeah. <laughs> she just had a feeling.
2: Yeah. So, and this was before um, you
1: got into your PhD as well. So Yeah, this we, is way before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I in the beginning of this episode, Jackie and I sort of talked about the application process for grad school, we shared our experiences as well. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering how was the application process for you? So, you know, securing a supervisor? um, Mm -hmm. Was there any processes that was different from applying to graduate school in Canada, the interviews that you had to maybe go through? So maybe take us a little uh, along on that uh, application process journey.
2: Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, The thing thing with my application process, the pathway I did take is probably a little bit different um, than what other people would take. But, you know, this is just my experience and the steps I took. So, you know, hopefully it could help others. Um, so the one thing I like to do when applying for anything is I'm, I'm kind of annoying when I show an interest in something and I kind of like to be annoying. So this kind of includes like sending shameless emails, like (laughs) stating, (laughs) stating, you know, that I'm, that I'm a potential qualified candidate and I'm really interested in the opportunity. So that's kind of the first step I did, but, um, usually, you know, the reason why my pathway was a little bit different is because, you know, usually when looking for a PhD, many people look for funded projects and opportunities before securing a PhD position. Um, However, because of the timeline of when I graduated and defended my master's thesis, and then when I was submitting my application to Brunel, which is around the same time period, all the funding deadlines had passed by that point. So, um, but at that time, you know, I found the perfect opportunity with a great supervisor and a great project And I was ready to continue on with my studies and my career. And I didn't want to delay and wait a full year to apply again. So basically, instead of waiting a year, I took the route of beginning my PhD right away. And now later on, three months into school, I'm applying for studentships and funding opportunities. So that process is a little bit different. Um, the application of applying for funding and studentships is, I'm sure, the same. Um, mm-hmm. And also the interview process and getting into the school, I'm, I'm sure, is the same as well. So I still did have to do an interview, of course. You know, you had to go through the whole interview process. Um, and to get to that point, I first did my research on schools in the UK and programs. Um, and this took me around a month to do to you know, really kind of do research on what I was interested in. And when I finally found the public health program at Brunel University, um, I came across my supervisor and I noticed that she had, you know, incredibly similar background to me as I did during my master's. She had um, a background in digital health and behavior change interventions and, you know, focus on children. And um, I think the only difference was she was kind of mo- more focused on physical activity and I was nutrition and dietary intakes. So I uh, I reached out to her, you know, stating my interest, sending her my CV. And then I met her online, which was more considered um, an, inf- an informal interview, where we discussed my per- potential research project, um, and then afterwards I went through a formal interview with around three to four faculty members, which included my supervisor and the questions they asked were based around you know what I wanted to do, how it would benefit society and academia, what theories and methods I would use for my research, and through this time I also had to prepare a proposal. And I can't remember exactly what the word count was. Obviously, it could depend on what university you're you're applying to. But Mm -hmm. by the time I got into the university, it was around like 6,000 words. And I had to um, also submit a CV and a personal statement. And then through that interview, it basically took a couple of weeks, up to a month for them to decide if I got accepted. So the whole process from when I first, you know, started doing my research to when I got accepted was probably around four months or so. So I did really start looking early and took my time into what I, what I wanted.
1: Um, I actually have a follow-up question to that. When Mm -hmm. you were contacting your supervisor, um, what was sort of the initial email? What did it look like? Because you're basically sitting in Canada and you're contacting somebody, you know, in another country. And um, it's kind of like a cold email or cold call, um, as you would say. So, how did that first email kind of look like?
2: Yeah. Oh my, that's a that's a really good question because I spent probably a week editing this email. Like, it literally took me so long to write this email because I wanted it to be perfect. Because um, I really wanted her, you know, to realize that I was really interested. Uh, well, I remember when I discovered her, I actually read a couple of her papers. Um, so, you know, I reached out to her, stating my background. You know, stating I came across like I was very interested in doing a PhD. I came across her um, webpage, like her, well, her Brunel, um, page and her research. And as well at the time, you know, they were looking for PhD students and, you know, the projects I was interested in this particular project. And I basically just stated, I, you know, I read her papers. I was, I was interested and I would love to have a discussion if she was free. And I'm sure there was kind of more to it. I can't remember. It was, it was, I'm, I'm yeah. very happy she read it because, you know, she could yeah. have looked at it as a spam, But, um, Mm -hmm. and in the same email, I did also, uh, attach my CD right away, just so, you know, she had something to look at right away to see that I was actually legitimate. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that, that's kind of how the email went out, but I spent a lot of time editing it and like, you know, I wanted to make it right. So yeah. And look at, you now. you're, (laughs) and now I got (laughs) in, she took a chance. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So now I'm in. So was there anything specific about like when you got this offer from, Brunel University, was there anything specific that
2: drew you to accept the offer and be where you are now? Yeah. I mean, the main thing was uh, the winning factor actually was my supervisor Um, because, you know, three of us, we know it takes a, well, anyone that's applying knows that it takes a lot to consider and to factor in when going into graduate school, specifically a PhD. And, Mm -hmm. you know, personally, I don't care that much about what school to attend. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's more about the project, but mainly to me, it's the supervisor. And, you know, the three of us were also lucky to have a great, to have a great supervisor in Joanne. And, you know, I can't speak more highly about how amazing Joanne was. And because she was, she was so amazing. I wanted to be picky about my supervisor, um, you know, during my PhD, especially as I was going abroad. I was looking for very specific qualities in someone, someone, you know, who's ambitious and competitive, but who was willing to teach me and guide through, guide me through the PhD process when I needed it. And um, so during my interview, I basically made sure to ask, I, I, you know, I did state, you know, what do you expect from me as a student? But I also did ask her, you know, what can I expect from you as my supervisor? And you know now I'm so happy because she's incredible and I made an excellent choice. And I do want to you know I want to quickly say because it's important because you know we we know that a PhD is solely independent it's our own research project, but a super having a supervisor it's it's like having a partnership, and you do want someone who want, will give you the guidance to become a skilled researcher and academic. So you know I'm so she was the deciding factor for sure, and I'm very I'm very very lucky to have her as my supervisor.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great question that you asked your supervisor because Mm -hmm. it's not just about, you know, the student being a good fit for the supervisor. It's also if the supervisor is a good fit for you. So like, Mm -hmm. if you want, you know, a supervisor who's hands off and then you end Mm -hmm. up with a supervisor who's really hands-on, you know, they could be a great supervisor still, but if that doesn't work with your style of how you work, then, you know, there's going to be potentially some issues there. So it's great that you had specific things that you were looking for in your supervisor.
2: Exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. Brittany and I are always talking about how important the supervisor is. It
2: really, it really is. I, I mean, I, I think it really can make or break your experience for For sure. sure. Um, Yeah. yeah. So, um, and again, like I said, it's an independent project, but if you need help or guidance, that's what they're there for. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: And um, I think also like when you are having that interview with the supervisor, I think it's also fair to ask, hey, is there some of your lab students that I can speak with, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a great way to gauge what their experience has been in that lab and with that supervisor. And, you know, you can have that conversation separately, um, maybe meet for a coffee with one of their students if the supervisor is willing to set that up. And you basically, you know, ask them, the questions and hopefully they are as real and genuine as possible. So for you to make that yeah. decision. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the big things about grad school is financing. Mm-hmm. So um, how does it how does it look like to finance grad school, you know, abroad? Uh, again, share as you know, much as you're comfortable in that area. But um, I think it would be really helpful to sort of touch upon this.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree, because I honestly don't think it's talked about enough. Um, And, you know, financing is a huge factor into why people, why people want to maybe do a PhD. So, um, you know, and it's something to really think about when you're going abroad, because international fees are more expensive than home students, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So usually... You know, I think the advice I can give around this is, you know, you can find PhDs through and funded projects through websites and links online. Uh, When looking for a PhD, there's actually a very specific website I went to. It was called findaphd.com or .ca. I can't really remember, um, but it was called PhD. And it's a website that you can choose your discipline, your location, institution, PhD type, and also funding. And from there, you can see what is available and uh, where and then how to apply. Um, But just like Canada, you know, there's, of course, scholarships within and outside the school. And there's RA and TA positions that you can receive throughout your PhD. And there's a lot of opportunities um, that will help you with these costs and like any extra costs that you may have. You do have to go looking for a lot, I would say, Mm -hmm. Um, but there's, there are tons of options. Um, And obviously I am still new. um, So I'm sure kind of maybe a little later on, I will, um, there'll be a lot more, there's probably a lot better advice I'll be able to give in this, in this topic, because I'm still learning about all the different ways to kind of find little pots of money, like the little tutoring positions, um, you know, to help disadvantaged, uh, elementary school students. And there's just tons of little, um, opportunities for PhDs.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, finding those little income sources mm-hmm. um you have a variety
2: of income sources as a grad student um, yeah you really do but, yeah. but you do have to go looking for them uh, quite a quite a bit actually for maybe, sure maybe, maybe and and like
1: i don't know about you hannah but my advice would be to apply to everything yeah
0: basically no, i i
2: agree yeah. yeah fully agree yeah yeah <laughs>
0: So Hannah, um, have you noticed any differences between um, going to school in Canada and going to school in the UK? I know, you know, they both speak English, English speaking (laughs) countries, and Canada is Mm -hmm. even like part of the British Commonwealth, as they call it. So Mm -hmm. um, are there any major differences that you've noticed between going to school in these two countries?
2: Yeah, um, I, ha- I have seen quite a bit of differences and, you know, but before, you know, before I say them, I do want to really state that, you know, the UK and Canada both have extremely competitive, you know, you know, some of the world's best universities, right? So when I'm talking about these differences, you know, I'm not comparing which one is better. It's just, it's just, you know, what I've noticed and what I've discussed with other students. And, you know, the first thing that I've noticed actually like right away was that the course structure is quite different. So during my master's in Canada, and as you both can support during your PhD, you know, there are mandatory courses that, you know, with end of term grades that you need to be taking in Canada within the first few years of your study. Um, I think in general, this is in all of North America, like like, uh, the States as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But whereas in my doctorate studies, there's no mandatory courses and it's all research development based. Um, but the thing is, it's, it's, it is still just as busy such as taking courses because all doctorate students, at least at my school, are given um, a tool called the 3D Development Researcher Tool. And it's like a, a framework that captures all the goals and skills and workshops and courses that you need to take to improve your professional qualities throughout the, uh, the years that you're here. But otherwise, you know, I, I get to decide what I think will just improve my professional development more you know I discuss with my supervisor so it's 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 all kind of the choice I, I it's all my choice basically and there's no marks at the end so that is that is I would say one of the main differences and you know that could be why there's also an expected length I mean there's a there's an expected length in each PhD program that's different um, whereas in Canada, I believe the expected PhD length is around four years, right? You know, maybe going into five if you end up going over. Um, whereas I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of six
1: year <laughs> PhD students. And yeah, even...
2: exactly. Yeah. I, I met an eight year PhD student the other day, actually. Um, There you have it. Yeah. So um, but in the UK, it's actually expected to be three years. Um, So the timeline I have to make for myself is three years. However, I will probably expect to go into four because we all know that, you know, research never ends. It will continue Mm -hmm. on forever. Um, But that the timelines are different and it could be because of the course structure. So, you know, that that could that is the main difference I've noticed.
0: That's really interesting. And it sounds Mm -hmm. cool. It's almost like a la carte, like what kind of courses and workshops and things you can take to uplevel your skills.
2: Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's still, it's constant though. Like it's, it's still very busy. Like you're constantly, you know, working towards your professional qualities and development skills. And, um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely been busy, but that is definitely the main difference that I've noticed.
1: Mm -hmm. So, well, I think we should get to some fun stuff. So, how has it been to, you know, make friends and um, you know, explore a new city, move to a new country and like the adjustment yeah. um yeah. I I, I'm pretty sure you haven't met someone better than me but
2: (laughs) I have I like like I said like I have a I have well again I call her my um London (laughs) Bridvey because I met I did meet a girl who is literally my England Bridvy. like Bridvey and I like she said earlier we're literally we we saw each other like every day like we're together all the time during, you know, the last couple of years, the couple of years of our master's, I mean, like the last year. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah.
1: For one year, because Jackie's master's and ours overlapped, yes. she was yes. there and we were always like, you know, meeting up to yeah. um, in the lab to work together. And then Jackie um, defended her thesis and, and she left. Went, yeah. And she left. <laughs> yeah, and left. then it was just, it was just me and Hannah. <laughs> yeah (laughs) trying to figure out things and
2: you know do our work so yeah how has it been in the UK Uh, it's been yeah it's been you know what it's been incredible so far I haven't had time to travel outside of London that much um, just because it's been really busy but you know London itself has been an incredible city to part of I have met so I, I work within central London as well on the side and I've met so many people both within academia and within central London so um, I would say it's just been constantly busy and it's been flying by so quick and there's just so much to do and transportation is easy. And well, right now we're going through tube strikes. So transportation has not been easy, um, okay. but it, uh, usually it is. Mm-hmm. And um, everywhere is also so close and traveling is relatively cheap depending on where you're going, when you're staying. And right now it's Christmas and I, I work in Covent Garden on the side and it's absolutely beautiful during Christmas time, even though it's extremely busy at the moment. But yeah, it's it's been really fun exploring the city and everyone's been so lovely. So I've definitely felt a lot at home here. And um you work part time. Yeah. At, uh I can can I can we talk about work?
1: That, that should be yeah, that's fine. Yeah, no. Yeah. Way. So Hannah works part-time at a bar. So I'm actually wondering if Jackie and I were to come, which you know that could happen. <laughs>
2: what drink would you get us or make us and you're about to see how horrible of a barman i am <laughs> because i don't <laughs> even remember the names of all the whiskeys i'll oh. i'll just serve you both guinness because it's it's literally the the pub that i'm working at is literally mm-hmm. known for its guinness do you guys like guinness i've probably i feel like it horrible. is is Irish
0: though it's not British yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's it's supposedly an Irish pub so yeah it's oh I, I, okay okay yeah, so I will give that makes you, sense yeah so I will I will give you both Guinness there we go okay. and I'll and I'll, go. and I'll pour it for you nice
1: oh. I know I can't I can't wait to see you like actually making the drinks. I'm not, I'm,
2: I'm the worst one right now. <laughs> you should now. get someone to video it. <laughs> I'm the, I'm the one. Well, no, that's too much pressure. And then I'll, I, it would like spill over. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun though. It's, it's a great break from, um, school mm-hmm. and you know, it's, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's very fast and it's nice to kind of be in central just to get a different, um, just a different part of London. Right. So for sure. And yeah. how did you actually get that
1: job? Um,
2: when you went there? It was just, I, it was just pretty easy. I kind of just walked in. I said, I'm looking well, for a job. Yeah. They're, they're always hiring. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So totally. they're all, and, and I don't know, maybe being Canadian, I, I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Um, no, but it's, it's, it, it was pretty easy. I guess I would say, I mean, mm-hmm. I've never had any bar experience before applying. So I was mm-hmm. very shocked that they took a chance on me but you also learn pretty quick I mean the way they the way they train you is pretty um, it's pretty I, it's pretty good I would say so they yeah kind of and throw I throw you also, into the mix
1: of it I also feel like two years of masters gives you the ability to learn very
2: quick <laughs> yeah it does but the amount <laughs> and be of, adaptable but the amount of like whiskeys you have to learn like it's just wild <laughs> so um,
0: Well, that's awesome that you're both able to be meeting people at school and at work and, you know, having, I think having like a non-academic circle is good to have Mm -hmm. Um, just to get a break away from all the academic talk. So I guess on the flip side of all the fun things that you've been doing, um, moving to, you've moved to a different country in the middle of a pandemic, um, have there been kind of any like struggles or difficulties that you faced with your move or just like getting adjusted to being um, in the UK and away from your family and stuff
2: like that? Yeah, I mean, it it is different for everyone. Um, I would say a lot of people get homesick, of course, if you move to a different country Um, or they may feel they may not fit in with the course or, or the structure of the school. Um, I would say I was homesick for maybe the first week. And now I am more settled in, and it could be due to just how much I throw myself in to so much in mm-hmm. such a short period of time already. So I've been very busy, right? Um, and, you know, we all know, of course, that a PhD can be very lonely in terms of meeting people. Um, it's very independent. It's a very, you know, you're independently working on a research project. And especially with moving to a new country and not knowing anyone can be particularly hard. And part of making roots in a new place is having a solid group or even just one good friend that, you know, you have for support. Um, So it can be lonely at at first, but, you know, my experience, I was very fortunate um, to have met a lot of people. But I will also say personally that I'm a little more extroverted. So if Mm -hmm. I would say speaking or advice I would give to someone that's a bit more introverted, you know, um, I would say my advice is, you know, to volunteer and take part in academic and non-academic organizations, because not only does it benefit your knowledge and skill development, but it also broadens your network and you meet a lot more people with similar Mm -hmm. interests and just taking part in, in sports or anything, maybe not related to school and related to your health is great. I also joined a sailing club for next term. So I told you, I'm a little like, (laughs) no way. Have you ever sailed before? No. <laughs> so I, this- I know. Yeah. Well, I've sailed, I think once in my life at a day camp and that was about it. And yeah, they have a nice. sailing club here. So as I said, I've joined quite a few things and, um, you know, Bridvi, you, you and I, like we, we did, you know, we took part in the, we went to the gym quite a lot. We did some classes mm-hmm. near the end mm-hmm. of our master's um what classes we did like we did pilates, did we even do? pilates. it was pilates <laughs> yeah yeah and um so we did that which is it, it's just a good break right so mm-hmm. i would i would for just sure. say going out of maybe your comfort zone and taking part in some um extracurriculars would really help for sure and um with that sort of to put everything
1: together and maybe our final question would be what advice you know do you have for students who are considering to apply um abroad for grad school and you've mentioned some things but what would be like one of your top
2: Mm, I would say so it would you know it's it is a hard decision and as we know there's a lot of factors to consider you know you're considering family and financials your supervisor the program you know you may be overthinking will it all work out and obviously within the last few years with COVID, which I, you know, unfortunately have to say it made the process of me getting here a lot more difficult than it should have been. But I would say consider your options. And if you have an opportunity that you love and you think is the right choice, then go for it. And um, there's so many opportunities to grab onto and, you know, make sure you know your options. Uh, Be picky with your supervisor. I think that is one as well. You want to find someone who, again, will want to teach you and guide you. Um, and also from a more personal perspective, I guess I would like to say that I believe in taking kind of the hard path. And if you really want to do something, no matter what you decide, you know, there could be a consequence to it, but if you really want to do it, you will find a way. So that's the advice that I have for you.
1: That's a great, that's great advice. I think you've pretty much summed up everything so beautifully. (laughs) Um, and Jackie, do you have any advice? I mean, we are here in Canada, so do you have any advice? What would be your top advice for um, someone considering to apply to grad school?
0: I think like we talked about earlier, um, especially from like going from undergrad to a master's, have an open mind about, Mm -hmm. you know, where you could end up and what you're going to do. And then I guess echoing Hannah, be picky with your supervisor. And like, if something feels right, go with that. Mm
2: -hmm. So yeah, keep an
0: open mind and go with, you know, what you feel will be the best fit for you.
2: Yeah, I do have mm-hmm. one more as well. Sorry. Yeah, um, I just kind of realized that it kind of just hit me that this is actually important as well. I didn't really say this that you know mm-hmm. the earlier you start on your application, the better. Um, I know you know it takes a lot of planning and research on your topic and also on your supervisor and your interests. And mm-hmm. you know, I started my research on everything very early, and then my COVID summer basically was you know, you know planning my proposal and writing and reading literature, and you know it took a lot of preparing for to where mm-hmm. I am now. And you know, it's it's hard to decide kind of what you want to do in your interest because there's so much out there. So I For it's sure. no it's not too late to kind of just start thinking, you know, about mm-hmm. what you want to do and plan. So
1: I am definitely going to piggyback off you on that because I think starting early as possible is would be one of my you know, um, top tips Mm -hmm. and also to break, you know, break down your applications into small parts and work through it little by little. Don't overwhelm yourself because I think this whole process can be overwhelming and very stressful and you might be applying to, you know, multiple program and different universities that might have different requirements. So I think, you know, take a minute, um, do that, you know, preparation before you begin your application, you know, note down the programs you're interested in, the admission requirements, then approach the application, you know, part by part. And this will make the process less stressful and much more smoother. Um, So I think that's like a technical tip, but I think um, definitely everything that Jackie and Hannah have said also um, are my top tips as well.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much, Hannah, for providing your perspective and experiences moving to London and going to school internationally. We hope that our viewers, we know actually that our viewers are going to find it helpful, especially if they're interested in going to grad school abroad. So mm-hmm. thanks.
2: Yeah. Well, thanks so much, guys. Like, again, it was so good to talk to you. And yeah, I'm more than happy to answer these questions. So
0: all right. So now time for our usual segment of grad school wins and fails and we're going to have hannah join us and share some of her grad school wins and fails too so uh, i'll start it off because i actually have a joint win to share for bridby and i um we applied for a scholarship and it's going through to the national level which is exciting so the way that this scholarship works Mm -hmm. is that Basically, the university like kind of filters out and they send forward the applications to the national committee to review. So that way, the national committee isn't reviewing probably like triple the number of applications that they actually end up reviewing. So Bridby and I mm-hmm. will both be um, have the opportunity, at least to you get the scholarship and we'll at least get feedback from the reviewer. So that's our win.
2: Yeah, Yay, that's, that, that's amazing,
0: guys. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> Thanks awesome. Hannah.
1: Um, and yeah, what about your win, Hannah?
2: Um, so I would say, um, so my grad school win, I was finally able this month to complete my systematic review protocol and to register onto it pro- on it, register it onto Prospero. Um, so now I'm, screening for my thorough searches so that will keep me really busy in the next uh for the next couple months and I'll also be getting will be beginning a new research assistant position in the new year with my supervisor so I'm really excited about that as well um so yeah that's just a couple things yeah those are all amazing
1: wins and um we're proud of you for you know killing it <laughs>
2: <laughs> thank you
0: yeah and making such good progress in your first semester that now starting your second for semester sure you're going to be able to start your research.
2: Yeah, I'm really excited about that. It's nice to kind of move forward with my first study.
0: Mm -hmm. All right, now time for fails. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I hate, you know, I I think fails, but I
1: also feel like it's kind of like a therapy session. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it's nice. Um, (laughs) So you I'll I'll start. Yeah, I'll start with my fail. And I don't know, maybe you can relate to this Jackie and Hannah or you know our listeners out there and so I feel like this semester I haven't shown myself enough compassion um and I consider that a fail (laughs) because I think that you know you need to take care of yourself and I think that um, I haven't done that to the best of my ability this semester But um, so as a grad student, you know, you're often have your own research, uh, but you might also be doing a bunch of other things. So for me, in addition to being a grad student, um, I am working on my own research, but also I'm a teaching assistant. So I have um, to mark assignments, uh, lead tutorials, depending on the course that I am TAing for that semester meet with students. I'm also a research assistant. I'm contributing to other research projects and helping my supervisor with, you know, writing grants and other things. So, and on top of that, you have like extracurricular activities. And this is something that all, you know, I'm jackie and hannah can all relate to um and i'm normally you know i'm normally capable of juggling multiple things i actually really enjoy it i like being super busy uh, but this semester i sort of felt you know overwhelmed and like not myself and instead of like recognizing that and sort of being like um okay normally you can juggle multiple responsibilities and be productive in all of them but why are you feeling overwhelmed this time you know maybe Uh, you know, checking in with myself to recognize maybe you're not feeling 100% yourself. Um, Not everyone can, you know, do everything all the time. So there's always like a threshold, you know, it'll be dependent, different, sorry, depending on, um, you know, the different seasons of your life. And so like, you know, recognizing that and being kinder to myself, I think I've I haven't done that, and so instead of being, you know, compassionate with myself, I was very, you know, hard on myself for being and super critical about, you know, not being productive enough, or why are you feeling overwhelmed? You know, maybe checked in more with myself this semester um, about how I'm feeling, advocated for myself, maybe say no to a couple of things, (laughs) Um, and you know, just be overall, you know, a kinder, you know, person to my to myself. Um, I think we always, you know prioritize, you know, being productive. And sometimes um like in the midst of a pandemic and where different things are changing and you don't know what's happening. I think that, you know, maybe being productive is not the most important thing. Um, you know, obviously get your work done and try to and, but also, you know, check in with yourself and see how you're doing. And um if you aren't being as productive, just be reflect on that and just be more kinder and give yourself time and grace. So, yeah, I think that would be my fail. And it was a nice reflective period for, because it obviously the semester is ending. So as I move forward in my next semester, I will definitely be checking in with myself more.
2: Yeah. Um, I'm going to just jump in there and say, I completely agree because I am so mean to myself all the time and I still am. Um, Unfortunately, it's, it's so easy to compare yourself with other students and just compare yourself with other people in the lab, in the office. And so, yeah, I do agree with you, bridby to be kinder to yourself um, and also kind of related to what you say, what you said about kind of keeping healthy. Um, I really my biggest fail is I really need to practice what I preach. I mean, we all study nutrition and I talk about eating healthy and how important it is in children um, however, ever since beginning my PhD, I throw myself into so much, um, you know, into a really busy schedule as well with school and work and already being part of a, quite a few organizations. And, um, it's, it's, I, I have found it pretty hard to keep your energy levels up and not to feel run down. So, um, right now my staple foods are actually BLT sandwiches and porridge. So <laughs> I need to like, I need to like fit more, uh, vegetables in there,
0: mm-hmm. uh, to
2: kind of, to kind of help with my energy, I guess. So that's how I need to take care of myself a bit more. And I guess I'll also also add my caffeine addiction I think has taken off like worse oh my god Do we even need to talk about that (laughs) because (laughs) Because I'm on the same boat with you well Bridvi there's now tea involved and I'm now drinking tea as much as I'm drinking coffee (laughs) because you're in the UK yeah yeah because I'm now like English and um um and um yeah so I mean the coffee here's a lot stronger so I'm drinking that Along Mm. with like tea. So now my caffeine is, my caffeine intake is like the worst it's ever been. Yeah.
0: No,
1: (laughs) I definitely agree with you. So I should
2: probably work on that. Yeah.
1: For me too. But honestly, sometimes I'm like, do I need to work on that? Caffeine is like my best friend. Coffee is my best friend. It like gets me through the hardest
0: of times. (laughs) I know. I know. So um, Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely work on caffeine addiction. That should be added to my list as well.
0: All right, I guess I'll share my fail for the past month. So I think my fail is that um, I've been spending just like too much money with the holidays coming up. And I think (laughs) (laughs) um, since I was working like before being back in grad school, I feel like I need to readjust my lifestyle again to being a grad student again because the salaries are very different from working a full time job to now. Being back in school, so I think, I think that's my fail. Um, yeah, I feel like caffeine. I need to work on as well. Like <laughs> okay. on the weekend, I didn't have a coffee. Like I don't know why. And I was like, I have a headache. Why do I have a headache? And I'm like, Oh my god, I'm like going through withdrawal because caffeine is a drug.
2: <laughs> How could you skip a day? Like I I've never heard of that.
0: I just kind of slept <laughs> in, and then like I don't know, like. My boyfriend didn't make it for me. So I guess I'm going to blame him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I literally I have one a day, I, which I think is better because I think it be, before I used to have more than one. Mm-hmm. Um, although yesterday, I remember I had two, but that's because I treated myself
2: to Starbucks. So, <laughs> OK, well, I'm not even going to tell you guys how much I'm consuming right now. <laughs> <laughs> if two is your max, like, oh, my God. Um,
1: well, I've worked my way like down to one or two. Oh,
0: okay. Uh, oh, so you've okay. already made progress.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and I don't think I can like cut out caffeine completely because I've told you it's my best friend. I am mm-hmm. not willing to cut that relationship.
0: I think it's just being mindful and then also maybe being mindful too. Like if you feel like it's impacting your sleep, like if you're having it too late and stuff, but yeah, it seems like Hannah's sure. been- fully integrated into the London's mm-hmm. high society with her tea.
2: <laughs> Supposedly, I think there's a specific time you're supposed to drink it at. I'm not sure what time this is, but I've been kind of drinking it all night, basically. <laughs> so I don't know if that's the appropriate time, but um, as soon as I'm done with coffee, then I just move on to tea. And <laughs> It's, it's, I know. So coffee's like in the morning teas in the afternoon and night, which Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure is pretty dangerous to my health. I feel like since you are in the UK, tea is a must. Yeah, exactly. um. So.
1: Yeah. Okay. So that is our, um, you know, grad school wins and fails. Um, And that is it for our episode uh, for today. Um, A huge thank you to Hannah for joining us and sharing her experience with, you know, the grad school application, especially, you know, applying to school internationally. I am very sure that all the experiences and the opinions that you shared um, will be very helpful to our listeners. Um, And so catch our next episode in January, we will be talking about the science of routines and habit formation, which is a pretty cool topic. Um, Until then, I want to wish, you know, all our listeners on behalf of the lab birds, a happy, a safe and restful holiday season. Um, We will meet you guys in the new year. (music)